to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good, but I forgot to ask you, are we recording? We're recording. Audio is on. Audio is on. We don't want to tell the audience that the time you forgot to do all that. Oh, it always adds a lot more work. And you know what? I, our audience should know we do all this ourselves. The sound, the video. The mics, all of it. It's you just do, me and you. You actually do it all. I just show up. That's a big part of the job, though. <laughs> and I'll tell you the. I'll tell you the. Re- Hold on, here we go. Welcome in, welcome in. Okay, so Steve, one of the reasons why that is so important that you show up is because somebody messaged me the other day on our text line four two four 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 four. 1948, where any listener can write in and let us know what they think of the podcast. And by the way, we thank those people who texted in. They were at the conference and they texted the Jew and the Gentile <laughs> podcast. That must have been three of our seven listeners who said, hey, we're going we're gonna to text. We isolated three of our seven listeners. They live in Indiana, okay? So where the conference was. No, but the one, one of the people that went to the conference messaged me and said... Uh, I wasn't sure, but kind of wondered if you operated this number, talking about the text number. And he said, she said, I told Mr. Steve at the conference, he's not allowed to quit the podcast. Uh, I do remember meeting her. Yes. Melissa. um, She is a a listener. We're thankful for Melissa. Hello, Melissa. Hello, Melissa. It was a great conference. And she seemed to really, really have a good time um, at the conference. She shared good things. And we even she texted us and we even sent it on to Jim Showers, the executive director, so that he knew people were enjoying the conference. The big macher. The big macher. And so anyway, (laughs) uh, Melissa, thank you so much. And Steve, see, uh, you are important. I don't think people would listen if you left. Well, that's actually not true. And I have objective proof. How's that? Objective proof. Brand new thing came in. Oh, Chris yeah. Katolka, this Chris Katolka is taller Here we go. than That's, the Jew. My bobblehead came in, everybody. That's Look. right. And so put it next to well, mine. Here, put it here. Let's uh, see. If can... All right. I'll hand it to you. Looks, if you're watching that. on YouTube or... Like, <laughs> I'm a shrimp. Oh, you can't see it with the camera. Uh, we'll have to try to take a picture of it and post it for people to see. But our bobbleheads, they're not the same size. I ordered the same size. And if... I. I am five. Well, I used to be five eight, but gravity, age. I'm five seven and a half. How tall are you, Chris? I'm five four, five five on a good day. <laughs> All right. So you see, the guy was he in China? Is oh, this there it? we go. That's a better shot. So if you're watching on YouTube now, you can see I ordered the exact same size, but I guess their measurements are Is off this in China. China? Yeah, I think it's okay, China. It's China. So they looked at. They looked at your picture, they looked at my picture, and they said, this guy is taller than the other guy. <laughs> this is the Jew, this is the Gentile. And that's right, and I still remember the guy, I was in Israel, Chris, this is, it's still hilarious to me, and it took place so long ago. We're walking in a tunnel, and the guide says, hey, just so you know, you might have to, you'll probably have to duck, this isn't real high. And so, oh, there are people, all the Gentiles, they're ducking, ducking. I walked straight through. I said, 
They're my people. They knew how tall I was. <laughs> I never had to duck. What tunnel was that? I forgot was which one. Was it Hezekiah's one. tunnel? I, no, it was. It was. I, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I didn't have to duck. That, I never have to duck. Every, <laughs> That's I, the beauty of the whole thing. The only time it stinks to be short is, you know, when my wife says, can you reach up there and grab something? Okay, fine, or whatever. But most, look at when I get on an airplane oh, seat. Oh, fantastic. I, I, I could, honestly, I could be in the middle seat in the in the economy row i can stretch my feet out no problem and then you see those poor guys like our like our uh, uh board chair um dave benner he's a tall guy when you're tall it's trouble but i'll tell you it's also trouble being short and littler i'm i'm littler as well but they take advantage of you when you're in the middle seat they oh they, yeah they, they push they your arm to your side and they stretch out, and they give you less than what you require. Uh, exactly. That's why I usually try to choose the aisle seat. I'm an aisle guy. I'm an aisle guy, too. I, I want to be in, I want to be out, and I want to have control over the in and out, too. And that's right. And usually for me, especially the 12-hour flights, it's tap on the shoulder. Uh, what? Yep. What? Got to get out. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I'm an old guy, need the bathroom. But I'll tell you, those people that sit by the window... They're four and five times they got to go. Oh, yeah. Their bladders must have some issue. But see, you and I have, I think, similar personalities. That doesn't ever bug me. No. I don't ever want people to feel like they, I I always feel bad, you know, oh, excuse me, I have to get up and go to the bathroom. I'd rather be knocked on my shoulder than knock the person. 100%. That's exactly the same way I am. And so that's why I always choose the aisle seat. 100%. Or not the aisle. Yeah, the aisle seat. Aisle seat. I'm with you 100%. Okay. so, So this is a first. We have a Chris Katoka, but. Yeah, we have a, and you can see it. We've the got the bobbles, and they're agreeing. Look, they're going. Yep, yep, yep. I'm short, and yep, well, I'm tall. I was thinking about getting you like a little stand that you could, we could balance it all out. So then you're, or even a little bit taller, so that you're taller. Because you, it's a, it's a misrepresentation of the reality. Well, and then Chris, the the next thing that we have an update because I had questions at the conference. One person came up to me. One. And should I say, too, for our listener, if you're going to conference, what conference? It's talking about the Proclaim Conference. We're doing them three times this year. In August, so far, we've done one in Winona Lake, Indiana. Uh, great turnout. Um, we're talking about uh, um, the world. What What is it called again? <laughs> uh, living on the Edge. Is it Living on the Edge? We're Living on the Edge. Yeah. And, and that, it, oh, man, did I did I drive that home. Living on, I said, folks, we're living on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> and I listed all the crazy things that are going on. And Chris, you and I are going to be in Tampa yep. uh, together. And you will be speaking on message four. And you close the conference out. I did that um, in Winona Lake. And I'll be met doing message two and six. I can't remember exactly what those are because I haven't put it together yet. That's but, right. But um, anyway, so yes, that's the conference I'm talking about. But at that conference, person came up to me and said, I, I want a mug and a mug. So I said, a mug and a mug? That's fantastic. That's such good news. And then, Chris, when I got back, you presented me, and I'm handing these well, to the you. Well, a few different mug-on-a-mug options that we have. So, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening, I'm sorry, but maybe you could go to YouTube and check it out. You know, we have a, we have a couple different options here. Floating heads. Floating heads option. Here we go. Floating heads option. Uh, and then we have uh, Steve and I together on one side over uh, here. I don't like that one. Yep. But uh, if, if, our, if any listeners want to text at 424-444-1948. I think this is the one we're going to go with, though, with the branding on both sides and then us in the middle. 
Uh, but uh, that's mug on a mug is moving forward, everybody. So that's a positive thing. You can text us at 424-444-1948. Let us know if you're interested in getting a mug on a mug. Also, um, be sure to remember that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip, and we have got a fantastic, fantastic uh, class coming up this August called Patriarchs and Presidents. August 10th, I was just with Paul Scharf. Uh, and Paul is very excited about doing these classes, and I I promoted it at the conference uh, that patriarchs and presidents, the really the the history of the United States as it relates to the land be, before it was Israel and after it was Israel. So we we know that before it's been occupied by all kinds of uh, different groups. The before Israel, of course, it was Great Britain. Before that, it was. Uh, Turkey or the Ottoman Empire for 400 years. So uh, he traces the support that presidents have had for the land of Israel. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so if you want to register for Patriarchs and Presidents, people, it's free. It's a free class. You, you, you lose nothing if you come, but I think you gain a lot if In you fact, show up. They can register. And if they can't make August 10th or 17th, they can still watch whenever they want because by registering, they'll have access. That's right. It's all on demand on YouTube. Again, so you can go to foiequip.org, and there you can register for patriarchs and presidents. And we actually have one more ad that we want to share with you. That is but, right. But here's the thing. We're actually going to make it a competition. That's right. Because our- You could vote. All seven of you. I'm looking for four votes. To beat him by one, That's four right. to three. So oh, here's the deal: you gotta you gotta text in at four two four 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 nineteen forty eight to let us know who did the better job of doing the ad, uh, because we're pushing something for a dear friend of ours here at uh, at the Friends of Israel, Tom Gagan, who works in our advancement department. He asked us to share this with you so that you could participate in a in a great way with Friends of Israel. And so we're gonna have a competition. He handed us the ad spot. Okay, this is the ad spot. And so we decided, let's have a competition. Again, whoever wins, you're going to determine it. 424-444-1948. And I'm at a tremendous disadvantage. I, you are the radio voice of FOI. I got nothing. You've got it. You've got it. Uh, but, I believe in you. But free is the key word here, right? Free. 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 Okay, so who's going first? You're gonna, well, you're uh, holding it, so I'm you holding. go first. Okay. Did you know that August is Make-A-Will Month? This month-long event is a time when all Americans are encouraged to create an estate plan to protect their protect their assets and the people and organizations that they love. The Friends of Israel has partnered with Free Will to enable you to write your legal will for free in as little as 20 minutes, folks, online. And you will have the opportunity to include a legacy gift in your plans. Get started at FOI.org forward slash your free will. Also visit our new planned giving website at partner.foi.org. That's partnerfoi.org for ways to easily give stock cryptocurrency. How about that? (laughs) Or through donor advice funds and IRAs, as well as for info on charitable gift annuities. Oy vey's mere. 
What an ad. Good job. I'll tell you, make a will month and free will. We have to talk about, can Calvinists do this? Okay, hang on. Before we get to the jokes, that's my turn now. For the competition, uh, okay. Okay. you just you just heard Steve do a make now a will month. Now you're going to hear a professional. I don't know about that, but you're going to, but it's the competition. 424-444-1948. Let us know who you think wins here, okay? Uh, this is a make a will month. Did you actually know it is make a will month? I had no idea. Okay, see, there's a whole thing behind it. Uh, so this is. Uh, well, think th about that. Well, before make a will month. That means for a whole month, people have to think about dying. Uh, exactly. You and, gotta think about dying, oh, and actually, that's not a bad thing. It's not, and that's why. Let me read this ad, and then okay. here we go. What a Ready? what a segue to the gospel. Make a will month. Did you know that August is make a will month? This month-long event is a time when all Americans are encouraged to create an estate plan to protect their assets and the people and organizations that they love. The Friends of Israel has partnered with Free Will to enable you to write your legal will for free in as little as 20 minutes online, and you will have the opportunity to include your legacy gifts in your plans. Get started by going to foi.org forward slash your free will. Again, that's foi.org forward slash your free will. Also, visit our new planned giving website at partner.foi.org for your ways to give your stock, cryptocurrency, or through donor advised funds and IRAs, as well as for info on charitable gift annuities. Oh, you smoked it. I don't know. You smoke. We'll it. see. People, you can text us at 424-444-1948. We tried to have fun with that. And make by a will the way, month. we're not sad. Whoever loses is not sad as long as you make a free will. Go to make a free will. And uh, hey, now is the time for the joke, Steve. Bring free, it. Free will. When I heard free will, I said, oh, Arminians are going to love this. <laughs> and the Calvinists are going to say, wait a minute here. There is no such thing as free will. Well, there is this month. That's right. So we were saying if free will, if you're a Calvinist, you're saying, well, God knew that today I would make a free will with free will uh, and what we're doing here. And the Arminian would say, so you made a choice. You made a choice. <laughs> it's your free will to make a free will. <laughs> That's right. But what do we care about for Tom's sake? We care that they go to free will and go to that website at foi.org. foi.org forward slash your free will. All right, Steve, we have got a lot to talk about today because that's right, we're going to do Did You Know? But today we're going to be focusing on Tisha B'Av and Tuba'av, which is a brand new one for me. Okay, you and good. I talked about it, but we wanted to review last week real quick, and we thought the best person to review it, of course, is Emily Stone. Hello, Emily Stone. Emily Stone has helped us out so many times. Did you know? And last week we went over the garb, the worship wear, what we wear in worship. And so uh, <laughs> her headline is, who got the props? <laughs> Don't you just love it? It's funny because we've been calling it Jewish garb the whole time, and she's got who's got the props. Who got the props? I love that. Jewish prayer, accessories, and their origins. So, for the kippah, a.k.a. <laughs> yarmulke or skullcap, for many Jews, wearing a kippah is a symbol of commitment to the Jewish people. Poss possible origin in ancient Rome, head covering was mandatory for all servants, Jews may have adopted this practice while at prayer to show that they were servants of the Lord. According to the Shulchan Aruch, 
A Jewish man would walk no more than four cubits, seven feet or two meters, without his kippah on his head, and even wear it while standing still, where you don't have to wear it in bed or in the shower. Why don't you read another one, All right, Chris? here we go. So you did the kippah. I'm going to do the talit gadol, literally, big sheet talit gadol. <laughs> big sheet. Big sheet. The Torah commands men to wear tzitzit, a ritual fringe, at the four corners of their garment to serve as a reminder of the mitzvot. You shall make, it says, you shall make for yourselves twisted threads on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourselves, Deuteronomy twenty two twelve. We talked about that in yes, the podcast. Uh, since modern garments aren't four-cornered, the talit was invented. Very interesting. Very Thank interesting. You. Go ahead. And last but not least, we'll cover mezuzah, a piece of parchment encased in a cute. We held one up. Uh, here, you hold yep. it up while I go. do this. The mezuzah. Okay. Uh, we should put a mezuzah on our door we're here. At, we're a bunch of goyim I'm here. I'm telling well, you. Yeah, we gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta get Encased in a cute decorative case that is similarly affixed to the doorpost of a Jewish home. On this parchment is, incri- is inscribed the Shema, the prayer in which the commandment to post these words on the doorposts of thy house is elucidated. Wow. Big word. Emily Stone is definitely a word meister. She really is. She really is. Thank you again. Did you know? Did you know? A little recap of looking at the various Jewish accoutrements. What? Oh, yeah. And I want to talk about that. What What was, how did she call it? What did she call it? It wasn't garb. What did she say it was again? Uh, I don't, uh, uh. Props. Props. Who's props. got the props? Who's got the props? There you go. So anyway, a good a good review for what we did. Uh, again, though, in a moment, we're going to be talking about Tisha B'Av and Tuba B'Av. Um, and, uh, but before we do that, Steve texts me while he was traveling all around the country over the past couple weeks, and he texts me a picture of him and Alice holding up a fantastic Yiddish mug. A, a Yiddish cup. Now we're gonna, Yiddish cup. We're going to talk about this in our Yiddish word of the week, or what do we call that segment? Yiddish word of the day. Yiddish word of the day. But we're I was, on episode ninety-seven, and Steve's still going. What do you call that thing again? Yiddish what? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm going. We're going to talk about that Yiddish word of the day. But this this part, as we talk about it, I'm home with my mother, and I bring her all the good stuff. Blanche. I stopped at the deli. I stopped at Corky and Lenny's. Those of you in the Midwest, Corky's is a pretty popular place. I got lox. I got whitefish. I got, uh, what else did I get? Uh, oh, whitefish salad. I a whole list. My mother was so happy. I was happy. And so we also stopped at Dunkin' Donuts because my mother doesn't drink coffee anymore. But sometimes she does on special occasions. So I stopped and got decaffeinated Dunkin' Donuts coffee Did for she her. like it? She was so happy. Happy, happy, happy. Uh, and so we had to put the coffee in, in something else because we were sharing. I got a big, large ones. And she, she gave me this cup. I said, Mom, this is a Yiddish cup. <laughs> a Yiddish cup. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, I've had this a long time. I said, I said could I have it? I said, Mom, I do my, my podcast. She said, I got a million cups. You could have it. And so we're going to go over. So, but Yiddish cup itself, remember, cup is head. That's right, a Yiddish and, cup. And Yiddish, but this is a mug, a Yiddish it's, mug. It's a Yiddish, so a Yiddish cup. A Yiddish, a Yiddish cup 
It's a, it's a Jewish head, and now you could drink it. There you go. <laughs> well, big thanks to Blanche. Oh, Blanche came. She was happy to do it. She said, I got all kinds of cups. You know what I, I love about your relationship with your mom is that you're 70. She's 99. Correct. And you guys still, mom, look at this cup. I gotta get, oh, take the cup. Take. The, I just think it's hilarious. You're 70, she's 99, and you're like a, a young boy going home and saying, can I take this I, cup? I, I want this cup. <laughs> this is a great cup. Uh, can I read one of them? Uh, well, I, well that, you're, you're violating what we're, of course you can. All right, I am violating it, but I, I feel like this one we can have a fun, quick convo about. Let, let's do it. Okay, because we'll save the other ones for the Yiddish phrase of the week or Yiddish word of the day, okay? Uh, so it is, um, a wise man knows what he says. A fool says what he knows. Which is what our podcast <laughs> is all about. This is, <laughs> this, that is the summary of the podcast. Okay, now here's the fun part. Can I say the Yiddish? All right, here we go. A kluger weist er zogd, a narzogd vos er weist. That sound anything like? We a, have to ask the Bergs who teach Yiddish. She would we, say that's not even did close. Okay, but you you gave it a good. The beauty of it is, by the way, there's an ad on the back. I don't know if we're allowed to to tell oh, people. The, you could. Go, I've gone to the website. What I, is this? Oh, the, that they the have their, unemployed. Philosophers Guild. That's what it is. They have a website. The I, I love you, you gotta go you gotta go on their website. They have all kinds of hilarious things. The unemployed philosophers guild. That's, oh, that's they good. Have, they have things dedicated to Shakespeare, Socrates, all kinds of different things. You could get shirts, cups. I don't know where my mother got. I know this. My mother did not go online to get it. Somebody gave it to her all right uh so why don't we take this opportunity to move to um tisha ba'av but let's before do we it. do that though let's talk about your new readers oh my new readers You're, you got new readers I and they get... are fancy they're stylish they're modern i mean they they're there's a lot of things going on with the new readers I, you got i really like these uh you're I, a collector of readers I, I am a collector of readers and this one these were interesting chris in that, look at what, I don't know if, yeah, look you can, at, you can look at what them. they could do. And they, you know, you do bada bing, and then you go bada boom. The look at that. Yep. And I, you, that's, and it fits into one that, of these things. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. And uh, I think what's cool about them is they're so light. And of course, I showed them to Patty. We've already talked, Patty's one of our seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and she flipped. She said, where did you get those? I've been I paid over fifty dollars for my readers. I said I paid uh, I think eighteen bucks. For yeah, buckets. There you go, <laughs> buckets. And then I so I went online and I didn't find the exact ones for her, but I found four for ten dollars. <laughs> four in one packet. She said, "This is." Cr but anyway, those I, things are like out of Star Trek or what? Yeah, I mean, they I are like fancy. I they're like modern. Em. I like look at em. you, the Jewish sage, bringing it again. Yeah, I that's like right. it. So let's go to Tubishvat. Tu no, no, Tisha T T Tisha B'Av, which was last week. By the way, we we missed it by a week, but we want to take the opportunity to talk about it because Chris. Now we have to put our serious uh, conversation. It has to be a serious voice because. This is a day that commemorates 
A lot of bad days. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. All crammed in oh. one day. Well, you know, I like that the economy of mourning. I really do. Uh, they're not. Sh- a Did lot you just of- make that up? The economy of mourning. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's the economy of mourning. They, the exact dates of the destruction of the two temples. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not exactly sure of both the the same date. Uh, nor are they sure of the various expulsions which took place in England in 1290 and on 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And there was all kinds of anti-Semitism. And the Bar Kokhba revolt, which was way before that during the time of uh, Rome and Hadrian. Can we and rewind for a minute, though, too? Tisha B'Av, when we say that it's Hebrew, but it's just a date. We're it's, actually just announcing a date. Tisha is nine. Yep. And B'Av, Ba is in, and Av is the name of the month. That's right. We're talking about a date, like July 4th. Yep. Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av. And what they've done is they've taken all these various horrible times in Jewish history and packaged them together for one day of deep mourning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Chris, you and I have talked about Yom Kippur, which is regarded as one of the most important holy days uh, on, on the Jewish calendar. It's one found in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 23. And so this day is, you have to treat it just like Yom Kippur. And in fact, Chris, the Torah scroll, uh, I'm holding, my my bobblehead is holding a Torah scroll. On Tishba Av, they put a black case over the Torah scrolls. Oh, really? It's mourning. They are mourning. There's only one book in the Bible that they read. And what's it called? Lamentations. Mm. Uh, it, it it everything is focused into mourning. The economy of mourning, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I, I, you know, again, like you're saying, we don't know specifically if both of the temples were destroyed on the same day, but that's what they they honor uh, as they mourn the destruction of the first temples, the Solomonic Temple in 586 BC, which they say happened on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, and then. Herod's temple in 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed it, again, they're saying happened on Tisha B'Av. And so they're mourning the two moments of the destruction of the really, the temple is the centerpiece of Jewish life. We don't think like that because we live 2,000 years removed from the destruction of the temple, but everything revolved around the temple. That's where the priests were. That's where the worship took place. There was a central location where where Jewish people would meet with God. And after the destruction of the first temple, that's when all of a sudden synagogues later on, as the Jewish people would eventually be spread throughout the world in the diaspora, all of a sudden synagogues start to pop up. They don't make, they don't take the place of the temple, but they continue the community life of Jewish people. But there was still a hope to rebuild the temple and it did get rebuilt and there was great excitement for it. And then it was destroyed again. And so there is a, a real sense of mourning because it is the centerpiece of Jewish life. You know, I'm really glad you centered it because we can we can do history by dates and events and be kind of cold about it. But you're centering in on the event. And, you know, as we think about it, uh, many folks who listen to us are churchgoers. They go to a, a building but and they meet together as a church. And we often think of church as a building. So... 
So picture your, if you love the place where you're fellowshipping, wherever that is, and it's taken years and uh, people have worked very hard and freely donated and built this building that the church meets at, and they, they've raised their kids there, and all of a sudden there's a fire. The fire burns the building down. Now, mm-hmm. as believers, we just say, oh, this is bad, but the believers are fine. We, we can build another one. Absolutely true. But just picture the emotion of, of that and then ramp it up on steroids because from a Jewish point of view, the temple, just as you said, is the focal point. That's where the sacrifices took place. That's where the priests were. That's Passover. Everybody had to come to the temple. That was the place. It was. It's not just the relationship the Jewish people had. That That's where the presence of God himself was mm-hmm. for a long period of time before— we know we know about the uh, the spirit of God leaving, but that's where He was housed. So yes, they put all this together and they mourn, they fast, they pray, they sit shiva, that just like sitting shiva for a dead person, they sit low. It everything is amplified. And that's why, off the top of my head, I said the economy of mourning. I do kind of like. I that. like that I a lot. Even, I can't. A fool does hit. Every once in a while. <laughs> I am going to look at, you know, just to let you know how off the cuff our podcast is, the the titles, uh, you know, I have to come up with them. So I'm writing down economy of mourning for the title. Okay, here there we you, go. So I go. don't forget it. All right, Steve. Th- so Tisha B'Av, though, doesn't just remind the Jewish people of the destruction of the two temples. There were other events that oh. were tied to it as well. I think one of them, I think they even have, uh, one goes back to Joshua's time. They they connect it to a mourning full, uh, a, a time of mourning and, uh, and a moment of tragedy that happened in Joshua's life. Uh, there's, a, there's um, like you had mentioned, the Bar Kokhba revolt that took place in 135 AD when the Jewish people, or when the Romans again pushed all of the Jewish people out of uh, Rome, uh, out of out of Jerusalem, there was the expulsion of the Jews from England in 1290 uh, uh, A.D. There was uh, the Spanish Inquisitions, as you had mentioned, in 1492. They said that happened on Tisha B'Av or around Tisha B'Av. The beginning of World War One in 1914, which by general historical consensus led to World War Two and the Holocaust began on Tisha B'Av. And so again, like you said, it's it's a lot of it's not just the two temples. There's a lot of moments throughout history that they point to, as you say, and they shove all of that mourning into one day. Because the the thing I actually really value about Judaism and about the Jewish way of life is that they don't paint over the reality of life. Life is sad. Life it can is. be. We were just you and I just went out for lunch, and uh, we were uh, talking to our friend at the diner. And uh, uh, one of the waitresses that we know there was going to get married, and her husband, her future husband, was in uh, in, um, in Greece. Greece. Mm-hmm. That's where they were going to get married in Greece. And they had I, to postpone it. They had to postpone the wedding. And she told me last week, "Oh, we just postponed it because we needed more time." Well, then I just found out today that it was because her sister had died, and she 40, was 40. 40 years old of cancer. Yeah, yep. And they so they postponed. And you just think, what a tragedy! But life. Is I think you got in the car. You said life is crazy, and it, it it's there are moments of mourning and sadness. Life is beautiful, but there it, I I always love Judaism doesn't paint over those moments. They're even baked into 
the typical synagogue service where you get up and you remember the dead. You remember those who had passed away. You you speak their names because it's a part of life. Sadness is very much a part of life. And so I like that it takes a time in the year to, we're going to mourn today. You know, Chris, I'm listening to a series of messages uh, that really talk about the difference between the works of God and the ways of God. And there is a huge difference. Uh, and as you read the Bible, God's actions, God's works are marvelous and draw people to himself. The, the part that's much more difficult to comprehend is the ways of the Lord. Mm. Because as you, the Bible's transparent. God's ways are not our ways. We don't think the way God thinks. It's, it's, it's an insult to God to even think that we think like him. No, he is so high above us, we don't think that way. And if you can't, it, okay, so this day is so horrible. And in the in the mind of God, knowing all that was going to take place, and certainly the temple's destruction always had to do with the behavior of the Jewish people. There was reasons. Jesus prophesied that it would happen. Uh, Moses prophesied that there'd be trouble even before they got into the promised land. Mm -hmm. But baked into the single book that they read during this period of time, can I read it now? Please, please. Okay, so baked into the book of Lamentations, we're, we're fasting, we're praying, we have a, a black covering over the Torah, and we lift up the black covering, and we go to Lamentations. And in chapter 3 and verse 22, baked into this difficulty is hope. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's a wonder. Verse 22, through the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. We, Tishba Av is talking about, look at what happened, but we're not consumed. They might hurt us, but we're not consumed because... His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Yeah. Every morning. Great is, is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly. Now, that part, quietly, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. Uh, but, That's good. But, but it's good if you wait quietly. I don't know if I could do that. Uh, to the, uh, for the salvation of the Lord. And Chris, how do we say salvation in Hebrew? Uh, Yeshua. So listen to this. For the Yeshua of the Lord. That's amazing. Isn't that, a, isn't that a, Baked into the time we mourn, there's Yeshua. And Yeshua is the way that you actually say Jesus' name. 100%. So it's almost like Jesus is right there in the middle of In the, the middle of all this, there he is. Because and, this is, you know, when we're talking about Tisha B'Av, this is the moment, too. I mean, Lamentations is written with Jeremiah sitting outside the city watching it burn. Exactly. And there he is watching it being consumed, and yet he's able to look and say, though that the temple's being consumed, we will not be consumed because the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And because salvation... Yeshua is of the Lord. That's amazing. Now, you know, here we are. We're feeling sad. And we do it. So is there a message to somebody who has cancer and is dying? Is there a message for someone who's going through the terrible 
tragedies of life, baked into the tragedy can be Yeshua. He can be there. You go to Psalm 23, and he's there. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he's yep. there. Yep. What an amazing thing. So we can turn a frown. Not we can. We can't do anything. But God can turn a frown into a smile. Yeah, even on the worst of days. The worst of days. That, you know, I always love that too because you know that's a there's a lot of sadness in Lamentations. A lot it, of sadness. It's not till the, it's only, it's a short book. It's three chapters long, and it's only there at the very end where he where Jeremiah paints the picture of hope. And I really believe it's because Jeremiah was linking himself to, as you said, you don't what was it the Lord's works and the Lord's ways. Yep. You know, the Lord's ways are his nature and his character. It's who he is. And, and like you said, we can't understand because we're human and he's God. And yet we also know, though, who he is. And he says, I'm a compassionate, gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving, slow to anger, patient God who wants to forgive, who wants to love. And I think I think Jeremiah was clinging to that because he was watching Everything that he knew and he knew was important to his people being destroyed. And you would think he'd go, I'm done. We're all done here. But he didn't because he knew God's nature and character, that his mercy, God is a merciful God and a gracious God. He'll forgive us and he will bring hope. There is a hope for the future. And the temple would be rebuilt eventually in God's timing. So there is hope in the midst of the suffering. You know, as Chris, as you're talking, we have that Proclaim Conference, which really takes us uh, through a biblical account of what's going to transpire, and a lot of it is bad news. The speakers get up and they say, oh yeah, this message is, I got to tell you all the difficulties that are going to happen, and the next guy gets up. <laughs> I'm telling you about the Antichrist, and they're going through all this, all these terrible things but the last message, which you're going to have, and I did have, is, folks, here's the end. The rest of the story. Here's the end. And you and I have covered it. We went through the book of Revelation, and in chapter 21 and 22, now you know, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. <laughs> All right, well, you know, Tisha B'Av is about mourning. But just a few days later, Steve, you just found this out about Tuba B'Av. Tuba of Tuba of Tell us what Tuba of so is. So there's Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, that date for morning. Then you go forward uh, five days, no, six days, to the 15th of Av, which is Tuba of and that is called the Day of Love. The love boat. The love day. The <laughs> Jewish day of Valentine's love. Valentine's Day for <laughs> Jewish people. And, right? And it goes back. Listen to this. Tuba of the 15th of Av, is both an ancient and modern holiday. Originally a post-biblical day of joy, it served as a matchmaking day for unmarried women in the Second ah, Temple the period. Yenta, the Yenta. <laughs> That's right. There was the uh, before there was Match.com and eHarmony. There was Tuba there were always Av. Yentas. <laughs> Tuba Av was almost uh, uh, was almost unnoticed in the Jewish calendar for many centuries. As you can see, this. Uh, this bar mitzvah boy here, Steve, didn't know what Tuba Av was, you know? So didn't know from nothing. It went unnoticed in the Jewish calendar for many centuries, but it has been rejuvenated in recent decades, especially in the modern state of Israel. It's a modern incarnation. Uh, 
in its modern incarnation, it is gradually becoming a Hebrew-Jewish day of love, slightly resembling Valentine's Day in English-speaking countries. So there you go. And it goes back. There's no way to know exactly how early Tuba Av began. The first mention of this date is in the Mishnah, which actually the Mishnah contains writings that could even predate Jesus's ministry uh, that go back from to the time of the diaspora. The first mention of this date is in the Mishnah, compiled and edited at the end of the second century, where Rab, Rabban, is that how you say it? Rab, Rabban, R-A-B-B-A-N? Yeah. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel is quoted saying, there is no, there were no better or happier days for the people of Israel than the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. Since on these days, the daughters of Israel and Jerusalem go out to it dressed in white and dance in the vineyards, what they were saying, young man, consider whom you choose to be your oh, wife. This goes back to free will. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Go to. Fr- was it predestined or did I choose? Yeah, exactly right. And so if you don't know which one it is, you can always just go to foi.org. Well, you know, I can hear the complaining right now. <laughs> Those who are Calvinistic Jews and they end up with uh, their wife and they say, I, this is what God gives me. <laughs> <laughs> and then those of free will say, oh, I chose it. Hey, it's all my fault. That's I chose. <laughs> all right, everybody. That is uh, Tisha B'Av and Tuba Av. Um, and so just uh, an interesting to keep in mind as you continue to move through the Jewish calendar of the year. But, Steve, we've got some interesting news items we for us to look do, at We do, Chris. Uh, you know, one of the things I do is uh, usually later at night and early in the morning, I I pan news mm-hmm. and I, the first one, I think I sent, I, what I try to do is I look at headlines and then send them to you. I just, knowing you're not even paying attention, but I know you'll see them later. And this one was kind of interesting. I've heard this in Israel from our guides multiple times. You probably have too, but I think it's worth sharing. Napoleon understood why Jews are still crying after 2000 years. He it's a great story. He, and it ties in with Tisha B'Av. It, it does. So here's his the, the quote from Napoleon. On Tisha B'Av, they were crying because of their temple being destroyed. And Napoleon said, they are still crying after 2,000 years? A nation that mourns so long will never cease. They will surely return to their land and see the rebuilding of their temple. Chris, that's quite a it statement. Is. Earlier in the article, article too, it explains that uh, Napoleon was walking along a street when he stopped in front of a synagogue, and he heard Jewish people crying inside on Tisha B'Av. He said, what are these Jews doing? And that's when they said, oh, they're, they've been crying for, they're uh, crying about the destruction of the temple. Uh, when, and he says, when did that happen? And he said, 2,000 years ago. And they're still crying after 2,000 years. A nation that mourns so long will never cease. He knew it. And he even predicted the rebuilding of the temple. That's right. He knew it would happen. That's quite a—that's an amazing—that's a secular guy looking objectively as a people, giving great insight like a prophet. Not a prophet, but like a prophet. You know, it. it I don't know if it's this is a good connection or a bad connection— but, uh, you know, my boys are really into soccer right now. They love soccer, and I'm glad they love soccer. But right now, the Women's World Cup is going on. And so we've been watching in the morning before they go to camp and all that stuff. We've been watching some games here and there. And so I, it's been popping up on my news feed. And America has made some serious uh, news because 
some of the women in the in the on the American team refuse to say the national anthem, and they're even putting their hands behind their back, and it's frustrated people, and it makes you look at this and say, you know, Jewish people for two thousand years, he's saying, have been crying, which means it's a passion, and that passion is what drives them. Of course, this is more biblical than, of course, what, what I'm talking about with the soccer team. But here you have, we're only a country that's been around for 200, almost 50 years or so. And, you know, here we are, we have people that are going, nope, I'm not crying about that. I'm not even going to sing the song anymore. And you think Napoleon is saying, you do that, you lose. But if you cry and you remember and you're turning to God and you're remembering what happened here and you're remembering the story of your people— it will be rebuilt because it's it's baked into your DNA. And so somehow that disconnect happened in our country where the the younger adults, I think, over time have been disconnected from the DNA of who we are. And I'm speaking as an American. And it just makes me think, I, I don't know if that's a good connection, Steve, or a bad connection. Well, you but- know, that's interesting. You bring up, I don't know anything about soccer. I do know that the women's soccer team in America is the number one. They were ranked number one. Yeah. And they were the last champions. And isn't it interesting? I heard it made big time news and talk radio. They were cheering like they just won something when they tied. I think it was Portugal. Did they play Portugal? Who zero to zero, zero. tie? Yep. And they, people were criticizing. How, why would the number one team rejoice to squeak into the next thing when they were expected to do it anyway? So it's interesting. They don't care. Some of them don't care about America. Not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them don't care about America, and some of them overreact to a tie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that that went through my mind as I was reading that. A very insightful words from Napoleon, which there's a movie about Napoleon coming out soon. Oh, I didn't know that. It's supposed to be pretty big. So okay. So the next one uh, that we have is Newsreel News Desk, and. Chris, we have uh, Meadow Kalisher, who is our representative. He pastors a church in Jerusalem, and every Wednesday we meet all of our staff, and he was giving us an update on Wednesday, giving us an update on what's taking place with all the uh, folks who are really upset about the reasonableness clause uh, in the legislation that was passed, and that reasonableness clause is going to there are 15 justices all 15 are going to hear the petitions against that clause and that's the headline here why don't you interviewed him for your radio program tell us first first plug the radio so folks can listen to yeah, that yeah if you want to listen and, if you want to listen to FY today our radio program that uh, I'm honored to host uh, you can go to foiradio.org and uh, this Friday, it will come out. We're going to talk about Menno's article in the most recent issue of Israel, My Glory. And then he's going to share with us his thoughts on what's going on in Israel right now. And uh, it's almost a bit it's almost a bit comedic, this article, because it says all 15 justices of Israel's Supreme Court will hear the petitions asking them to cancel the reasonableness law that the Knesset passed last week, Supreme Court President Esther Hayut announced on Monday. So here's what's funny about that. The reasonableness law is been put forth by the Knesset, Israel's government. And the reason that law came out is because Israel doesn't have a constitution. They have a developing constitution. It's called basic law. 
So instead of making a constitution in the beginning of their country in 1948, what they decided to do was develop one over the years. And they're still developing Don't hold your breath. They've, they, that's right. Do they, not hold your breath. And and so they're, the, what their their laws actually are interesting. Their laws comprise of the basic laws of Israel, which determine how you elect uh, prime ministers and their representatives, how they have the Supreme Court, how they, just like we do in our constitution, uh, they have basic laws that help guide them. I think there's 14 of them right now of, of the basic laws that they've developed. They also have old British laws that were carried over from the British mandate prior to 1948 into Israel that they never got rid of. So they still use old British law. And then they also have the Declaration of Independence that guides them. Now, technically, it's not a law, but they use that as a guide for how they should treat one another because the Declaration of Independence that was signed by Israel's first prime minister, Benjamin, I mean, um, uh, David Ben-Gurion and others, uh, says that Israel is pretty much, it's open. It's open to people who are religious, not religious. Jewish, not Jewish. Uh, Christian, you name it. There's no religious litmus test or anything. Israel is a democracy. Uh, Okay, so there's a lot of things that are going on, but they don't have a constitution. So what's interesting is that the Supreme Court over the years has taken it upon themselves that when the, the, uh, not Congress, Knesset. Knesset makes a law, if that law doesn't have something that it's that it's grounded in in what we would say the constitution if there's nothing that grounds that law or if the, if it doesn't have standing or or whatever the case might be the the supreme court can come in and go sorry we can't accept that they're law they're independent unelected people who can change the law in Israel that's right so Israel's elected officials who make laws that's why they are there they're the legislative branch when those laws get passed, all of a sudden the Supreme Court can step in and go, the Israeli Supreme nope. Court, no thank you. Yep. Well, well, what do you mean no thank you? Well, it's a reasonableness clause. So anyway, this is what's funny is that this re- to get rid of the reasonableness cl- uh, clause, to get rid of that act, the Knesset passed a no reasonable, no more reasonableness bill. And now they want people to meet to get rid of the reason, the Supreme Court to get rid of the reasonableness bill. That's What's, your to get rid of- <laughs> What's your prediction? What's your prediction? I think it's going to, as Menno said, it's heading in a very bad direction for the state of Israel. It's ripping the state in two. And he said, you know, from what Menno's perspective was, is Netanyahu, he believes, is a man of democracy. Netanyahu is a man of, of uh, who wants to keep he democracy. He loves his country. He lo- that's right, exactly. So he has respect for Netanyahu. But Netanyahu is beholden to keep a coalition so he can stay in power, and his party is made up of very right-wing leaders in the religious, orthodox Jewish world. And Menno even compared those individuals to neo-nazis that's what he said very that's the very very small minority within the coalition are the ones that put it over the top he said are totally unreasonable that's totally unreasonable and so you know as a christian uh he's worried because a lot of these more uh you know extreme components of the coalition government could say okay well we don't want any more new testaments in the state of israel no more new testaments now that's where the that's where the Supreme Court would step in and say that's not reasonable. That's not reasonable. But now they're getting rid of that. So that means that the there's no checks and balances again. And now the, it's giving more power to the legislature for them to go. No, no, no more, no more. You can't meet at churches. 
blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, for a Christian like Menno and our other believers in Israel, they're getting more and more concerned about the direction at this re- the direction it could go, depending on who's in power. A- again, remember, though, within the next year, there could be an election and everything could be upended. And there could be a whole new different legislative body in the Knesset. And that reasonableness clause that could be gone would still, it would be gone. So it, it all depends on who's in power. And it's an interesting thing. So it, it's just an interesting cycle that they want to get rid of this reasonableness bill. And now they're having a meeting in the Supreme Court to get rid of the meeting re, reasonableness bill. So anyway, crazy, crazy. All right, Steve, I thought this one was interesting. This last one that we've got for news that comes from the Jerusalem Post. On July 27th, again with Tisha B'Av in mind, a fox was spotted along the walls of the Temple Mount sparking talks of prophecy. This isn't the first time in recent years that foxes have been spotted near the walls of the Temple in Jerusalem. And the reason this is important is because as the fox was spotted, it brought uh, uh, a reminder to people of what certain rabbis in history have said, for instance, the very famous Rabbi Akiba uh, responded that the appearance of a fox uh, coincides with a prophecy given by the prophet Uriah in which he stated, and this comes from Micah chapter 3, verse 12, therefore for your sake Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become rubble and the temple mount shall be as high uh, as the high places of a forest where the foxes are found. And so, again, it, it goes on, it talks about the fact that foxes are connected with biblical prophecy, but it's not the first time that it happened. Um, the rabbi of the Western Wall and the Holy Place, Rabbi Shmuel Rabinowitz, states that it was impossible not to cry at the sight of the fulfillment of the prophecy of foxes walked in it on the evening of Tisha B'Av. So, there you go, Steve. There you go. They saw fox, and there you go. <laughs> You don't seem too excited. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'm gl- excited they're talking about prophecy. Yeah. That I'm excited about. Hey. Uh, it's it's interesting. When you and I think of prophecy, we go to the text. And by text, I mean the scriptures. Uh, and even if you just look at the Jewish scriptures, um, that's much more limited than where the very uh, Orthodox Jewish people go, because they consider the rabbi's writings, the same place, and in some places hold it higher esteem mm-hmm. than the text from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's where but that's important to me because I was not, when it came to my salvation, I was not interested uh, pretty much in what the rabbi said. I was first interested in what the text said. And by that, I mean people listening to me, whether you got saved through John 3.16, I got saved through the ministry of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Did I want to know what the rabbi said about it? Yes. But I knew immediately what it said, but they got all kinds of commentary. Rabbi said this, and a rabbi said that. Uh, what does the text say? Yeah. And so here, I'm glad they're centering on prophecy. I wish they would go to Micah himself rather than Rabbi Akiva, but... Zygazunt. Zygazunt. Here we go. Is anything okay? No, not that one. (laughs) Zygazunt. Live and be well. All right, everybody. Yiddish word of the day. Yiddish word of the day. It's actually more of a Yiddish phrase. This is a Yiddish paragraph. This this one comes right from the cup that Blanche Herzig gave us. Thank you, Blanche, for your contribution to the Yiddish Kite podcast room that that we uh, host our Jew and Gentile podcast from. 
Steve, what is the Yiddish word or Yiddish phrase of the day? Well, let's just go with the short stuff and we'll let you read a couple. I'm just going to say. Well, chutzpah, we have one. This is the one, right? Chutzpah guilt. Chutzpah guilt. Chutzpah, we know it. We've used chutzpah as our word. But we never had the guilt part. And I'm not talking about what Jewish people do all the time, feel guilty. Oy, that's G-U-I-L-T. Guilt. We invented guilt. This is G-I-L-T. Chutzpah guilt. Nerve or guts succeeds, oh, Chris. Oh, yeah. You got to have guts. Oh, that's how Jewish people have been accused of being pushy and loud and aggressive. We're none of those things. Chutzpah guilt. That is our Yiddish phrase of the day. Uh, nerve succeeds. I like it. <laughs> Yiddish word of the day. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, really quick, for our dear friend, Tom Gagan, who loves the Jew and Gentile podcast, we want you to be sure to go get your free will by going to foi.org. All you Arminians, all you Calvinists, go to free will. That's right. There you can find solace in each other's different opinions by going to foi.org forward slash your free will, and you can make a, fr- a will for free during the month of August, which is Make a Will Month. Go figure, okay? I'm so excited. Oh, well, listen, <laughs> if you haven't registered for, uh, what is it, uh, Patriarchs and Presidents with Paul Sharp, my brain's all over the place, go to foiequip.org, and there you can go free, 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 free to one of our classes. Hey, we'll see you next week.